Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the Chronicle's podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle City Hall reporter Trisha Thirani, and today I'm talking to Supervisor-elect Dean Preston, who beat out Supervisor Valley Brown by less than 200 votes in the November 5th election. This was a big deal for many reasons. One, Brown was appointed by Mayor London Breed. And two, Preston ran on a platform of making big, bold, sweeping change in San Francisco. I spoke to him about his vision for the city and how he'll shake up the Board of Supervisors. Here's my interview with the new District 5 Supervisor. Supervisor Preston, thank you for coming into the 901 podcast room. Thanks for having me in. So this is the second time you've run for supervisor. So the first time was obviously against London Breed, who was the former District 5 supervisor in 2016, correct? That's right. Um, and so then you only lost by a very small fraction of the votes. And now this time around, you beat out her appointee by 187 votes, something crazy like that. Um, what what helped you squeak out the victory this time? What was different about your campaign? What's different about San Francisco and District 5 now that you were able to come out on top? Yeah, well, the races were really different in a lot of ways. So apparently District 5 voters like close elections because mm-hmm. we've now had two in a row. Every so, vote counts. Yeah, glad this one uh, came out in my favor. Um, but yeah, it was it, really different. I, I mean, in 2016, I was running against uh, London Breed, who was an elected incumbent. Mm-hmm. And so uh, voters knew her really well. And, and uh, you know, it was a really an uphill battle to run against uh, an elected incumbent in that way. Uh, this time around, I think we were a little more on equal footing in, in terms of um, that that the, uh, the, the incumbent was an appointee and mm-hmm. didn't have that same uh, name recognition across the district that London Breed did in, in 2016. Um, one of the other big differences is just this was a very low turnout election. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, uh, about a 45 uh, percent or a little higher turnout compared to over 80 percent turnout right. um, in the t- in 2016. So we had you know a lot fewer folks going going to the polls. Um, usually that favors a, a more moderate or more conservative candidate, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, we had to to overcome that being the more the more progressive cam- candidate in the race. Right, right. And and for those listeners who didn't follow the District Five race too quickly. The incumbent that we're talking about is Supervisor Valley Brown, who was appointed by London Breed when London Breed um, was elected mayor. Um, and Valley Brown served for about a year, year and a half. Um, and you had you had been pretty much campaigning since she was since she was appointed. Right. I, I pulled papers to run once the seat became vacant. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had almost 20,000 uh, voters vote for me in, in 2016, right. been active in the district since then on a lot of issues, everything from uh, from Prop F, the right to counsel for tenants, mm-hmm. uh, to Prop C, the, the homelessness measure last year, um, and really doing a lot of organizing uh, in neighborhoods across the district. So once uh, London Breed became mayor and the seat opened up, I, I pulled papers mm-hmm. uh, at that time. Right. 
And so in this race, you ran as a democratic socialist. You're part of Democratic Socialists of America, correct? Um, what does that mean? Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, it's the first time that uh, a democratic socialist has has run as a democratic socialist in about 40 years. Mm-hmm. My understanding is Harry Britt, actually, in in the same neighborhood. Uh, it was, was the last time a democratic socialist has run for office and won uh, mm-hmm. in San Francisco. So it's a big deal uh, for me as a candidate. It's a big deal for the democratic socialist. Socialists of America chapter here, as well as the national DSA. And and I think, um, you know, when we started running and talking about being a democratic socialist, a lot of uh, uh, pundits, folks thought that that was a fairly risky thing to do. Hmm. Um, I think in a lot of ways... Why did they think it was risky? Well, I think there's been really an evolution in in people's thinking about uh, democratic socialism. Certainly things changed after Bernie Sanders' run um, in 2016, where there's more of an openness to democratic socialism, Mm -hmm. less of a stigma around socialism, and in fact, a lot of excitement, particularly among younger voters uh, for democratic socialism. Um, But, you know, I think we... Uh, sort of went out on, you know, a bit of a limb and being really upfront about that uh, with mm-hmm. without uh, just because I, you know, it was being honest with voters and I felt like it was something that that I wanted to do as a candidate, um, but uh, no idea how that would play out uh, with voters. Right. Um, and so uh, throughout the course of the year, though, um, I think I came to see it as a really positive thing mm-hmm. um, in in really opening up discussions with voters and and signaling to voters uh, what my priorities were and how uh, how our campaign uh, was rooted in really an ideology of taking on a lot of the status quo forces in this city. Right. Um, and I think running as a democratic socialist uh, in some ways was shorthand mm-hmm. uh, for for that kind of um, uh policy it, it, policy priorities. You and Mayor London Breed, I would imagine, have some sort of tension. I mean, you ran against her in 2016 and you beat out her her appointee. I mean, have you spoken to her since you've been elected? And, you know, what has that conversation been like? No, no. Haven't heard from the mayor. Okay. Um, and I, I'm not sure there's, if, if there's tension, it's, it's one way. It's not mutual. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think that there's not a lot of, you know, engagement. Um, so, and she certainly endorsed my opponent right. and, and, you know, made made clear who she wanted to win the race. Right. Um, but there's not, uh, there's not a, a, you know, personal friction or, or anything that exists. I have not had, you know, any negative interactions with her. Mm-hmm. And um, so we touched on this earlier when we were talking about you running as a democratic socialist. So obviously you ran on a platform of big bulb sweeping change in the city, challenge the status quo, which was different from uh, Supervisor Valley Brown, who ran she, her. She was more of like, I've been around City Hall. I know how this political apparatus works and we want change, but change does take time where you, on the other hand, were like, why are we waiting? Let's push these things, et cetera. So what is bold move number one now that you've been <laughs> elected? Well, yeah, there's probably bold move, you know, one through 50. And it's a matter <laughs> of sorting through which ones are going to are going to happen first. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's certainly some things that I talked about on the campaign trail that that remain really high priorities in terms of broad categories. You know, affordable housing, homelessness and public transportation right. are the three things I, I talked about as being top priorities. And for also nearly every elected official in San Francisco. Yep, as well. that's right. And so, you know, those will those continue to be um, what I plan to prioritize. Prioritize um, in terms of more specific 
measures. Um, one, I'm really glad to see and 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 happy to be part of the effort to get a storefront vacancy mm-hmm. tax, which was something that um, that I talked about in my 2016 race, and that's that's very popular in District Five and and hopefully across the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's moving forward. Uh, Supervisor Peskin's leading that effort. Um, to that's moving forward to the March ballot, and so I you know intend to be uh, campaigning and. and for that and helping with that because that that was one of our top uh issues mm-hmm. um in the in 2016 and and again this time around that folks really wanted um other things you know with long there's been a long promised navigation center for for district five that has not come to fruition right. so i'm very committed to making that happen as soon as possible um the right to counsel measure uh mm-hmm. which was you know a measure that i i wrote and we passed uh, in 2018, uh, is you know, is a right to counsel for tenants facing evictions. Probably the single thing uh, the city can do that will reduce eviction rates the most. Um, and I'm very concerned. And there's been some reporting in recent months uh, around the city not fulfilling its obligations under Proposition F to provide mm-hmm. a right to counsel to tenants, uh, you know, facing eviction. That's an example where I think it's important to have a supervisor. Who, you know, it's it's the mayor's office that is tasked with with fully implementing and guaranteeing the right to counsel. Right. The voters were very clear on that, uh, and there are people being turned away right now who deserve and have a right to counsel mm-hmm. uh, who are facing eviction. Uh, so, you know, for me, that's certainly a priority issue moving forward. Um, calling for hearings uh, very early on after I take office. Um, on Prop F implementation. Okay. Um, and that's something I'd like to do as soon as possible. Right, right. So first board meeting mid-December, we'll see you address all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee first, but, yeah. you know, one of the early meetings. So let's um, let's transition into, into talking about homelessness. You touch on this as well. Obviously, this is um, the biggest, most obvious is- issue facing San Franciscans today. Um, and you had mentioned how one of your priorities in office would be finding a navigation center and obviously Supervisor Brown. This was a big priority of hers. And she said that she was consistently looking for a space in the city, but she said it's just not that easy to find a space. You need somewhere that's, you know, first of all, big enough, something that's financially viable because navigation centers are only temporary structures. You know, if Supervisor Brown couldn't do it. What how would you approach this differently to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, we will make it happen. Uh, what know, time first, frame? Can well, we hold so you on? For, I mean, starting on the process immediately, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's um, and this is one of the very few things where in the campaign people wanted wanted a commitment of you know where is this going to be? Right. You know, I don't and, and I said during the campaign I don't think it's appropriate for a candidate to be like putting out locations, right? Um, but once in office, where I can actually be talking to the property owners, mm-hmm. um, it, you know. In on potential sites, right? Uh, be, um, my hope is to move forward, you know, and be able to announce something pretty quickly. You got to meet with neighbors and talk mm-hmm. to neighbors about it. But there's overwhelming support mm-hmm. in, in District Five for Navigation Center. Right. So you know, one of the first things I plan to do is that you know all the supervisors who have moved and on navigation centers and successfully got them mm-hmm. in their districts uh, engage with them. There's absolutely no reason why. We can get a navigation center, say, in District 9, but we can't in District 5. Right. Do you have potential sites in your mind that could? I, I do. I mean, I don't think it's a mystery. There, there are, like, underused and vacant sites right now. There are sites that are slated for development later mm-hmm. uh, that could potentially be na- navigation centers uh, before then. Um, but, but again, the, the stuff that's privately owned requires uh, a level of negotiation that mm-hmm. kind of can't really 
announce that till you talk to <laughs> talk to the folks who control the property. Right, yeah. right. So it's increasingly becoming with the conversation. You can't really talk about homelessness in the city without also talking about our mental health crisis. Um, and, you know, we see them all over the city, people who clearly are um, either a danger to themselves or others. And there was a recent, um, not recent, last or earlier this year, the supervisors had considered um, legislation order uh, called conservatorship, which would allow the city to basically expand its ability to compel people into care if they meet a certain threshold of being considered a danger to themselves or others. Now, that passed on the Board of Supervisors, but if you were on the board at the time, how would you have voted? Uh, I'd have, I would have voted against the, the conservatorship. Okay. Oh, yeah. And why is that? Um, I, you know, concerns about the the how it gets implemented, uh, giving more power, frankly, to, to law enforcement mm-hmm. around um, involuntarily conserving people and with um, a stated benefit that was extremely limited. Mm-hmm. So even by the proponents of the measure admitted that it would probably impact four or five people right. annually. So, right. I, so, you know, so my view is that the concerns, you know, outweighed the the benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and I just think there was a, a, quite a bit of time and energy and and space given to a debate that I just don't think really struck at the heart of what the issues are. So mm. I was much happier to see Mental Health SF and the discussion around that, which I think will actually more fundamentally impact mm-hmm. uh, the mental health uh, crisis right, in right. the city um, than, than such an extensive battle over something that, as I said, at at, at best or worst, depending how you look at it, you right. know, would impact a handful of people. Yeah. So and, that... and I think for those people, uh, it's even questionable whether, you know, whether the tools already exist without that mm-hmm. uh, to conserve them. Right, right. So the the first phase of that was SB 1045, obviously, which right. that's the one that would impact four or five people. But right. then when the state passed SB 60, I believe it right. was, that it had increased it to, I believe, about 50 to 100. So it was mm-hmm. a bit bigger of a pool. Um, but yeah, that was this, that was a conversation that was going on the board. Also, is it worth it to right. for just this amount of people? But what is the, what is the proposed alternative? I mean, these are people who clearly need help. These are people who have um, been fifty one fifty'd and brought to San Francisco General at least eight times and are deemed a danger to themselves and and others. So, what what is the alternative if these are people who aren't going to accept the voluntary services that the city has? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean the 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 question really is like who's going to make the decisions around uh, you know when they are involuntarily uh, you know committed to care, right. um, and so you know that's I think been the biggest concerns raised are are whether that vests too much uh, power in in law enforcement essentially to be making uh, those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know ultimately the you know the issue is you know there's there's the prevention side and then there's dealing with folks once they're they're in crisis mm-hmm. right and the city's cities really fail to to be a, be providing the kind of services that are going to prevent folks from spiraling down um, once you're in a crisis situation then you you know you do uh, you know I think that mental health SF will probably have the biggest Im- impact there mm-hmm. in terms of actually providing the crisis services that that folks need right. You know. 
Right. So is it the idea of conservatorship in general, or was it just the way that SB 1045 and the other legislation by Senator Scott Wiener was crafted that you take issue with? Yeah. I mean, so look, I, I, I know, you know, have folks I trust on all sides of this issue and Mm -hmm. I'm open to hearing more, but I think the question that I have on a lot of these proposals is whether the um, weakness of the current system is in fact inability to conserve. And I think there's a real dispute over whether that that is the problem that we need to be solving, right? So these legislative efforts that that Senator Weiner has been leading and that have been moving forward locally, I think assume that expanded conservatorship, mm-hmm. right, is uh, is what is missing in the current system. Right. Um, I think there's a real you know my concern in going down that 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 road um is that number one it inevitably pits one's individual liberty right and and some you know level of discretion of you know law enforcement and medical mm-hmm. professionals um against you know an individual's rights and you got to balance that right um, i'm not sure and haven't really been convinced that the existing conservator system does not function to address the situation you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, now we can't talk about homelessness in the city without talking about housing. So switching gears to that, um, how do you how do you balance your, your desire for um, 100% below market rate housing with also the need for housing now? You have an ambitious plan of adding 10,000 units of social housing within 10 years. Um, how would you pay for that? What is the plan for that? Yeah. So, I mean, the immediate plan on that is to actually convene folks who are who have expertise. I mean, I have some, but really folks who have looked at um, the experience, particularly in other countries that Mm -hmm. have really scaled up uh, social social housing. So we have we have some sites like Midtown Park Apartments, for example, that's city owned and that should be some form of social housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and there may be other sites that can be acquired by the city. Um, the land trust model is similar in a lot of ways, um, but although that uh, tends to be targeted at smaller sites and smaller uh, buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I'm really excited to to get to work bringing together um, experts around uh, what a robust social housing uh, plan looks like. And this is not, you know, we're not starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been extensive writing um, and, uh, you know, some, in fact, some local uh, local unions like Local 21 put forward a very ambitious social housing plan um, just recently, just in the last budget cycle. Um, so I, you know, I'd like to, you know, convene experts around developing a more concrete plan on mm-hmm. that. Um, but we've got to the, you know, we've got to achieve those kind of goals if we're, if we're going to actually reverse the, the unaffordability right. in the city. So there's no concrete plan for how to pay for this yet, but you're saying that you'll convene experts and everything. Yeah, I mean, Look, this is not cheap. I mean, we just passed a, 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 you know, $600 million uh, housing bond. And, you know, that's going to that that will bring significant funds into uh, creating affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's going to be the last time that we have to do a big bond if we're serious about uh, getting anywhere near having a, a, you know, right to housing in the Mm -hmm. city. You're listening to my interview with Supervisor-elect Dean Preston. We'll have more after the break. Let's get back to my interview with Supervisor-elect Dean Preston. You, so you touched on this earlier that you would like to put um, a ballot measure um, that would eventually pay for 
free muni for all in twenty by twenty twenty five, correct? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that plan and and how you plan to achieve that? Sure, and and um, so the we we raise about uh, two hundred million dollars a year mm-hmm. um, out of the 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 muni budget is from fares. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know. In uh, twenty in November twenty twenty, uh, looking to do a ballot measure um, that would that would reduce fares significantly. Mm-hmm. At this point, and initial thinking is to is to cut fares in half and and put us on a path uh, to free muni uh, by by twenty twenty five. And and part of the reason for really putting that out clearly um, and sort of working backwards from that goal, from the the stated goal to to how we do it, um, is that. You know, pub, transportation is the is the leading uh, l- leading source of air pollution, right, in mm-hmm. urban America and in the Bay Area. And if we're going to talk seriously about Green New Deal, about actually, um, you know, improving both air quality and decreasing, you know, emissions in in the city, we've got to get to a place where public transportation is fast, is reliable, and is readily used, and that people are foregoing other options like Uber, Lyft, right. you know, previous iterations like Chariot, other things. So so I think that, it, you know, just as a, from a policy perspective, we need to be lowering the barriers uh, to using uh, to using Muni and, and rewarding people who use public transportation. Mm-hmm. And so we've now been on a steady fare increase for for the last decade. Fares have doubled over the last decade. They've gone up every year for the last three years. And we really need to reverse that. So mm-hmm. so I start from that perspective. So we'll move to the lightning round. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can answer in maybe two or three words or less. All right. Um, all right. Favorite neighborhood haunt? Uh, Club Wazima on Divisadero. Uh-huh. Um, and, you... and the Tornado. I think they're tied for me. It's more than three words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, um, do you own a car? And if you do, has your car ever been broken into? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> um, how do you get around the city primarily? Muni. How do you feel about the e-scooters? Uh Mixed feelings. Mixed feelings. You only give me two or three words. So. <laughs> yeah, this one actually will give you more words. What are the, what are the mixed feelings on e-scooters and the bike share? Yeah, uh, well, e-scooters. I mean, generally, what gets you out of a car is a good thing. So, so I'm you know receptive, but uh, I also think that the um, issues of e-scooters sharing lanes, particularly with with bikes and others, create some some mm-hmm. concerns as well as them being left scattered around uh, sidewalks and creating issues, particularly for disabled folks and seniors. Right. Um, role model. OK, now back to the two or three word um, role model. San Francisco politician, past or present. Tom Amiano. Um, the solution to San Francisco's homelessness crisis is. Housing and services. Your preferred presidential candidate is. Bernie Sanders. Um, the relationship between the tech industry and City Hall is? Complex. Um, the state of San Francisco today is? Very concerning. On that note, <laughs> that's, that's all I have. All right. Well, Supervisor Preston, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you to Dean Preston for coming in today, and thank you to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. 
Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.